0: Good day from beautiful Southampton, Ontario, on the east shore of Lake Huron. About a three-hour drive from Toronto, four hours from Detroit, which I made yesterday. Actually, hung out with Felbin and his wife Ruth. In Detroit, which was pretty fun, uh, except for the harrowing discovery that Dan doesn't like melted cheese and therefore doesn't eat normal pizza. I, I thought that was—you really learn way too much about people sometimes when when you stay with them.
1: <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that. It's <laughs> my bra- my brain is still processing like the ramifications of not liking melted cheese because of how many things I like that involve that.
0: Yeah, I, I certainly feel similarly about a number of things, like cucumbers i really just absolutely cannot stand uh but i think I, I have a better defense for that i mean if you ask like every kid in the world like pizza is their favorite food right i don't think that many kids really like cucumbers um but yeah so so we went to this awesome place buddy's pizza which uh is been ranked by a number of publications as like one of the top 20 or so pizza places in the country the inventor of the detroit style pizza which if you haven't had that it is probably going to be coming to an area near you soon it's a school Square pizza and they have the cheese go all the way to the edge of the pan, so you don't really have that crust like you do on a normal pizza that doesn't have any cheese on it. Because and really, why shouldn't you? Uh but because of the shape of the pan, this square pan enables you to do that. And then the cheese gets this incredible crisp to it along the side. The corner pieces are like the absolute best pieces. So posted a few photos uh on Instagram, Nate B. Duncan, if you want to follow along uh with the trip. We're over five thousand miles now and probably not even halfway through it in terms of mileage yet so we're staying with uh my wife's family in southampton ontario her dad's canadian and having an awesome time so far uh but also having an awesome time probably this summer is cj mccollum who agreed to a three-year 100 million dollar extension with Portland that doesn't even kick in for two more seasons.
1: Correct. And that also means that CJ's big payday kicks in the same offseason as Damian Lillard's because both of those guys had two years left. Now his CJ is not getting the full designated veteran extension. He's he's not eligible for it. And he's CJ's not even getting the uh the max he could have gotten over three years. Per Dan Feldman, that would have been about $114 million. So he's getting a little bit less than that. But this is still a lot of money not only for CJ but a lot of money for Portland's backcourt when they have you know they have Nurkic under contract for the very like for the very beginning of that term assuming that they pick up the kind of the the fourth year of the contract that he has because that has partial guarantee but from a team building perspective when you think about this moving forward assuming both those guys are still on the team for at least the start of those contracts but probably the whole thing they're gonna be Damon CJ rooted and based for about you know at least another three years but probably. Longer, than
0: yeah, that. and you noted this on Twitter uh, that Neil O'Shea's comments afterwards, uh, in conjunction with the signing, now, of course, O'Shea uh, any GM is going to be extremely positive about his own players, especially when signing them to an extension. And O'Shea is uh, perhaps the biggest media manager among GMs that we have uh, in the game today. Uh, but you had a good point about how does all this happen if they don't make it to the West Finals due to that bracket?
1: Well, especially considering, sadly, this is no one. Longer Paul Allen's team, you know. Like the, if the, if Paul Allen were still were still alive and we're still owning, I would have been more on uh, kind of in the line that hey, he's willing to spend. These guys are exceedingly popular within the organization and the fan base. But we've wondered about what the direction of this franchise was going to be and whether it was going to change with Allen's passing. And this is a big financial commitment, a huge one for for CJ, who is a player that I've I like. There was an interesting conversation that Dan Feldman got into, like. He about whether CJ counts as a star because it, it's also partially just opportunity based. He you know he's never been the best player on his own team because Damian Lillard is a better player and has always been his teammate. But McCollum for me is is kind of in that next level down or maybe even a level below that because a his defense is is not that remarkable. But like for me it's always the is his presence alone enough to create or sustain a a, a reliably positive offense and uh, he could be there. Uh, there's definitely an argument to be made but there's also an argument to be made that we haven't really seen that yet because we haven't had the opportunity and he's paid like that now
0: yeah now they did a little bit less staggering of those two guys last year but he's certainly had plenty of opportunities to run the show himself and scoring is the most visible part of the game that is what he is the best at but he's not an amazing creator for others because he doesn't put a lot of pressure on the room when he's creating his own shot it's pretty deadly it's in the mid-range but he's not forcing a double team very often he doesn't have incredible vision as a passer either and he's really took a little bit of a step back these last couple of years after having a great 16-17 season and you know this is going to take him through what age 32 that is a quite a long ways out he's in his prime right now but they did have him under contract for two more years and you'd wonder would it have made more sense to wait a year or even wait until he's a free agent see where the direction of the franchise is going I'm sure that everyone in Portland right now thinks of this team as as being on the rise over the next couple of years, they you know they they're winning more games every year. They made it to the West Finals this last year. They made more additions over the summer. Also had some subtractions. Maybe they might try to make a trade to bolster the team again. But two years from now, I frankly expect them to be worse. Dame and CJ to both be a little bit of worse players and they'll be starting these massive extensions which are going to be paying them 70 million a year combined up to 80 million probably by the end of it we don't know the exact distribution of the numbers uh, on that cj extension so Yeah, we'll see. I mean, you know, if if they just end up playing another team and losing in the first round, which they very easily could have, does all this happen? You know, they still would have been, to me, the the same team. And CJ obviously had an awesome playoffs, too. I mean, that's going to be part of this as well, that legendary Game 7 that he had against Denver. And you can make the argument that he's a more valuable player in the playoffs when you have to just be able to create shots one-on-one.
1: Yeah, the Kyrie Irving argument.
0: Yeah, so I, I don't know. I mean, this is... It also, in theory, makes him and Dame more tradable if it does come to that. I mean, maybe that's what your ultimate argument is. It's like, yeah, you know what? Like, we're keeping this team together. It's all feel good moment right now. But if we take a step back to the next couple of years, these guys are still going to have trade value and we could pivot in two years before it gets to the point where, you know, these contracts become your Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook style albatrosses uh you know is that actually gonna happen we'll see um but a, the cap other, is still yeah go ahead. one
1: other data point i want to mention and as we've talked about numerous times on on the show mostly during the season Stotz has run different philosophies with with dame and cj playing them together staggering not staggering but general and and they've been healthy enough that the CJ without Lillard numbers are relatively small sample sizes which is great for Portland because you you want you know you want your guys on the floor all the time but in those minutes generally speaking the Blazers have not been particularly good offensively so like last year they had they had a they outscored opponents during those minutes but they had a 10 a 109 offensive rating that's a lot better than the 102 they had the year before and granted that's not CJ's entire value but part of the reason that Portland has been so successful over these last few years is that they've stayed really healthy. And presumably a part of CJ's value here is that theoretically, if if Lillard has to miss time, he can shoulder the burden. And I'm interested to see if given a, in a larger opportunity, whether that would actually be the case. And remember, CJ was the, he was the lead offensive guy in those, but he was generally playing with another capable ball handler, whether that was Shabazz Napier in two years ago or Seth Curry last year. So again, again, small sample sizes, not putting a lot into it, but that is a part of value is how well can you be the guy? And I just, I'm still of the mind that we don't know, but I think that's another piece of data in in favor of we don't.
0: Now, another interesting component to this here is this decision for McCall. as you mentioned, uh, he did not get the absolute biggest extension that he could have, but at his size, smaller guard, you would think, Hey, his value is probably never going to be higher than it is right now to lock in basically five more years when you consider his current contract at at over 30 million a year that's pretty darn good i think and now as mentioned this does make him more tradable right this is the opposite of some of these player empowerment moves that we've seen but cj also is not quite on that level and i think this is a good job by him uh, and his agent at, at excel sports of being realistic about where he is noticing that his value is pretty high right now that maybe he's not going to age incredibly i mean the jumper will probably age but you know obviously any any reduction in athleticism could be a problem for him and you never know what's going to happen in two years and just say hey man this is over a hundred million dollars over three years that i can lock in right now basically doubling the amount of money that he'll have made in his career up to this point over three years and to get it where you're now putting the risk of injury over the next five years and the risk of performance Decline over the next five years onto the portland trailblazers or whoever he might get traded to rather than himself given where he is as someone who's never been an all-star before and he's you know one of the best players in the league to never have been an all-star i would say but that's pretty darn good uh if you can get it so i i i I laud this decision i think that more agents should go in these directions of getting extensions even if you end up only getting you know maybe 80 percent of what you might have gotten as a free agent if everything goes perfectly two years from now getting that certainty to me i mean and you know this is just my own personal bias that this is the decision that i would personally make other people are are less risk averse in these matters than i would be uh I, i think that's a good decision for him uh, also, with well, the Blazers... I want to mention one yeah, more ahead. thing. I, and
1: yeah. I, First of all, I agree with you. And this is an amazing piece of risk mitigation from CJ's perspective and his agent's perspective. But also, I think this is also one of the ramifications, like we've seen with some of the players leaving money on the table, of it being so much. Because when you can leave $14 million on the table over the life of a contract, but you still get $100 million, that's a very different decision than leaving $14 million on the table and getting like $14 million. And so I think that it's easier for players now to make these sorts of decisions. Because they're because they could just say, "Hey, a dollars is a lot of money," and it's not a surprise. Some people have been consistently shocked by it. That you know, they're squeezing every di- every dime out of it when you're getting life changing money, like serious, like bona fide life changing money. Either way, I think that's opening the door for some of these decisions, and I think that's a good thing for the league.
0: What did you think of Paul Gasol signing a one year deal to the Blazers? He's coming off uh, that navicular fracture. He's had foot fractures before. Uh, that that. Torpedoed his chances of contributing with the Bucks, but with Nurkic out, looks like Blazers are going to need some help there.
1: To me, this serves as another data point in a couple of different parts.
0: <sighs> what? Go ahead.
1: Of like of where the. Use of Nurkic situation is where the uh what that sorry ma-
0: sorry I just I couldn't I could resist doing that apparently this is what it felt it's funnier aggregations uh on Pau Gasol's con- conference call with the media like someone was just breathing extremely heavily oh, and like wasn't muting their line <laughs> so, oh
1: that's pretty funny
0: so they just had you not heard that were you just no, wondering like no, what that hell I was doing ver- I was
1: I was, ver- I was worried that it was another one of those you weren't you you weren't muting properly <laughs> <laughs> i was like oh are yeah. we gonna, are we gonna have to have a G chat conversation right now
0: yeah so they like they had to say like the pr person on there was like saying multiple times like please like mute your line when you're not talking and we'll never know who it was some reporter was just like breathing extremely heavily uh who knows what it was but uh it completely ruined this conference call that that Powell was on but anyway all right i'm sorry you do you want to actually but actually but yeah so
1: I, this like the hassan whiteside trade r- is a reminder that they i think they expect nurkic to be out for a while and also that zach collins is dealing with a, a, an ankle ligament thing they expect him to be ready for the regular season but that could be another factor
0: in this though i, I, I miss that what, what is that
1: he uh so he had a an ankle ligament uh i i don't i don't know the surgery no it does not require surgery it is a a a grade two sprain of his right ankle he suffered the sprain and a torn ligament during a workout and uh he's in crutches and a walking boot they expect him to be ready for training camp
0: yeah and uh, they're talking about him being the starting power forward which well yeah because they have
1: no forwards left
0: yeah jared dubin actually had a pretty interesting article uh for 538 last week about how teams might actually be going on a lot bigger this year than they had that maybe the small ball revolution is o- is over and without the Warriors and that amazing Draymond Green at center unit to contend with it, I think that makes those big lineups a, a lot more viable um but yeah so Gasol uh I mean i guess he's gonna play if he's healthy and he's another guy who's just gonna fit perfectly into terry stott's system of just lack of mobility but you know he still has a 7-5 wingspan they also need more passing on this team i think he can help with that and yeah um all right are we done with that should we continue
1: yeah let's go to oklahoma city well at least temporarily for patrick patterson so patterson had one year remaining it was actually a player option that he picked up on his contract and he has agreed to a buyout with the thunder will sign with the la clippers for the minimum and. And this is important for Oklahoma City because it is, it doesn't get them all the way there, but it, it can get them a lot closer to avoiding the luxury tax entirely this year. Basically, what it sounds like is going to happen is that Patterson is going to reduce the amount that Oklahoma City has to pay him through the buyout, and then Oklahoma City will stretch that remaining amount that they have on their books over three years. So, per Bobby Marks, this isn't going to get them all the way under. And remember that you have to have, they'll be short of their roster minimum, so they're going to have to add somebody else as well, but it gets them within shouting distance at the level where you almost never see teams like a million or two over the tax line because they could just get under. And so we could expect Oklahoma City to do that at some point, further reducing, and I'm going to write on this whenever I remember it at the right time, about reducing the payout for the rest of the league because the the luxury tax bill collectively this year is just going to be a lot lower than people thought.
0: Yeah, and that actually might be an impetus for some teams to go lightly into the tax as well when you're not forgoing a, a significant... Payment. Uh, Now i don't know that patterson is going to have the biggest role in la frankly okc desperately needed his contributions the last two years and he was unable to provide them and they've got Jamichael green who's just a a much superior version of what patterson was bringing they've got mo harkless as well this may be an acknowledgement that kawhi leonard paul george just aren't going to play as much as we might have thought and he gives them a little bit more depth and we'll see whether in fact the, the clippers can get a little more out of him but he just hasn't been the same since he had that off-season surgery in the summer of 2017 shortly after joining the thunder in washington ted leontis noting on the conference call when he was introducing tommy shepherd that john wall is unlikely to play next year coming off first that ankle surgery i mean maybe more accurately a heel surgery and then tearing his achilles last february or so i can't remember it was january february as that ankle is already vulnerable having uh, had the surgery so yeah i mean it does seem like bringing him back wouldn't really make a lot of sense, especially because, uh, yeah, they're not going to be too good this year. Uh, he'd be, maybe he could play it, but, uh, and maybe there would be some thought that having him come back and play a few games at the end of next year, you know, that he'd be over a year removed from tearing it towards the end, would just be good to kind of try to get him back up to game speed. Uh, interestingly, I think they're probably more likely to play him if they're totally out of it than if they're actually like in the heat of a playoff race and they can ease him back in uh and then dean oliver is going to be hired as a coach for the wizards we talked on last week's program that scott brooks kind of doesn't quite seem to be in the mold of this new, more forward-thinking front office and some of the reforms that they've made. is really, really the remaining artifact of the old regime. Uh, but Brooks saying all the right things in an article by Frank Katz and Seth Partno, who uh, contributed. Uh, and Oliver is gonna be a liaison between the front office uh, and Brooks, maybe somewhat similar to a role that Roland Beach had Uh, Sammy Gelfand was something like this too, although he was, Gelfand was a little bit more, at least in in Golden State, I'm not as familiar with his role in Detroit of, you're just doing more analysis for the coaching staff rather than being a bridge between the front office and the coaching staff so we'll see what oliver ends up doing uh, scott brooks saying that oliver will have equity I- in how the team plays well
1: and, it, and it's worth noting as cat the cats part now piece points out that oliver has had assistant coaching experience before way back when he after playing at caltech he was an assistant coach for caltech then and has had a variety of different roles with nba teams and i mean basketball paper was <laughs> an immensely important book for me to understand the sport. As many know, I got into it a little bit later. So I was fortunate enough to get into basketball after basketball paper already existed. And it really helped me understand it, get into the four factors and everything else. And so I'd recommend reading that piece. And also I- I'm guessing this is maybe a Fred part of it talking about how this connects with the, the overall focus on analytics. It connects that there was a conversation like Tommy Shepard and Dean Oliver had a conversation years and years ago at Sloan and how the, the- this connects with the other moves that washington's management has made that will affect the team on the court it's it's interesting to see all this happen when the titular head of the ship meaning the head coach is not changing and their attitude towards this is different but it might just be them building out a framework and if things don't work out with scott brooks then you get a coach who lines up better with this
0: last thing here David Griffin, in a piece by Jake Fisher for Sports Illustrated, most of it was supposed to be about him joining the Pelicans, but Griffin did say that it's his belief now that LeBron, after winning that 2016 championship, he's now more prioritizing playing with his son and owning a team and just generally making more money over winning, I think To me, I don't know about the playing with his son part, but to me, it seemed very clear that the move to LA was not about winning. There are other places that he could have gone where it would have been a bigger deal. Now, that doesn't mean that he doesn't care about winning at all, but it may perhaps it's not his first priority. I mean, clearly he tried to get AD there. I'm sure he still works harder than 90% of the league, if not... 99% 99% of the league, and he's despite the setback last year with the growing I mean, he's probably the most effective 34 or 35 year old that we've seen. You know, maybe there's Kareem and Jordan are the only other two that you could point to her uh, on his level still. So, not to say that he's like deprioritized winning. I think it's more interesting just that Griffin said this, uh, and you know, certainly he can be very candid. I don't really understand what the point of saying that was. If only perhaps to just, I mean, he had a, a lot of words about how to just like, you know, his time in Cleveland, once LeBron came back, it wasn't about building a culture. They're kind of doing stuff that wasn't sustainable, including some of the contracts that they signed and and that the culture was kind of very high pressure and then there were some you could tell that griffin wasn't too happy because Woj immediately had some i mean it not that he has reason to not be happy or, but because he said those things but that Woj basically after that came out had some hey can you do me a favor and put this out there to spin control this type of tweets oh it wasn't about lebron he wasn't the one who's causing the bad culture there you know it's just it just happens when, when he's there and you're going for with on the one-year deals and blah blah so i mean i don't really care about this because I think what he said was pretty obvious to me already, but it's more just about the fact that it's creating a firestorm and he can't feel good about that in retrospect at this point, but well, ultimately it doesn't matter.
1: Well, and making those comments, whether they're honest and accurate, which I believe they are or not, doing so in early August is going to create that tinderbox because that's all all there is, is basically just this pent up energy to talk about anything. And so having something that A, involves LeBron James and is critical of LeBron James was was going to do that so again not a big deal for me but that's just the way this was going to turn out
0: So some news that came down after we recorded initially that we wanted to throw in here, Draymond Green agreeing to the maximum possible extension with the Golden State Warriors four years, just under 100 million. And you wrote a piece about this, Slater wrote a piece about it, Kawakami wrote a piece about it. If you want to read all those, theathletic.com slash cap space is the way to get started with them. But uh, what was your takeaway here uh, on the fact that this was agreed to?
1: I think the story here is risk mitigation from both sides. And yeah, Green is is only one year out of unrestricted free agency. Eleven months, if we want to get technical, which is closer than CJ and a couple of the other extensions that we, that we've seen. Damian Lillard as well. But not only was there, you know, not a guarantee that the market was going to be out there for Draymond at you know like his full max or something close to it. But there's also the combination of the money and the team quality. So yeah, maybe a team like the Knicks would have been interested, and in, and maybe the most interesting one to me probably would have been the Hawks because depending on how this year. goes, maybe they'll look closer. But the Warriors, you know, it looks like they're going to be a a very good team. Maybe not a title contender. We'll have to see on that. And then from the Warriors perspective, this avoids a really complicated scenario where Green is a free agent. They're trying to figure out what they want to do, if they want to do anything with that trade exception. And something we saw with the D'Angelo Russell, Kevin Durant thing is the Warriors, it doesn't appear that they like to have key players leave for nothing. And that sort of sign and trade thing would have become even more complicated next year because, they probably can't get hard capped again
0: like you i think it's a, a good deal for both sides it's one that i would have advocated for green to take given that he's going to be getting into his 30s as an undersized power forward his jump shot waxes and wanes to be sure and that's going to be an important component of his offensive game going forward. He hasn't shown the ability to be the same guy in the regular season the last couple of years, in part due to injury. Then he lost all this weight. He still was the same guy in the playoffs. With the hiring of Rich Paul, it did not augur that they're going to take this. Rich Paul is Pretty well known for wanting to let things play out, accepting more risk for good or for ill, but it it seems like this is what Draymond Green wanted, and this is really the best way to ensure that he is going to stay in Golden State. Now, it does potentially make him a trade asset if things really aren't working out, but As you mentioned, I think there just were not the exciting destinations. We talked about that uh, on the mailbag for him outside of maybe Atlanta. And you never know who else might be out there or what kind of a season he would have. Or, you know I mean, he just saw two of his teammates suffer massive injuries he saw another of his teammates Demarcus Cousins have his entire career change where he's getting one-year deals for five million bucks a year now uh, as opposed to uh, fate a complete max contract so uh, while well, we've seen some players like Kawhi Leonard on the free agent market this year take a two plus one for Draymond especially at his size his type of game the fact that because maybe he can't bring it at that level defensively as he gets older in the regular season his value for a a lot of teams may not be as high as it is for the Warriors who still have aspirations of being a deep playoff team so I think it, it did make a lot of sense for both sides and who Rich Paul and Draymond for taking the bird in the hand instead of two in the bush when you know, there were a lot of obstacles between there and this is also somewhere where he wanted to be now you know you could say hey next year he could have gotten five years and over 200 million from the Warriors probably don't think he would have made an all-NBA team or defensive player of the year this year given the way the Warriors team is going to look and but you compare the four years that he's getting four years 100 million to the four years that he could have gotten from another team because you don't know that golden state would have been willing to give him the five years and the 200 million i mean i think perhaps they they made that clear to him and that's not something that i would want to give either but what he could have made from another team next year would have been four years and 150 million so yeah he's still leaving 50 million on the table theoretically what he could have got with another team but that's again if he plays incredibly well it was a weak free agent class but there's not a lot of teams with space next year that are desirable destinations another thing i'll say too is i think this is really good for for Golden State overall, because he's probably the one guy where, with him about to be a free agent and in a contract year, he might not have been on board with the whole, all right, you know, let's kind of, yeah, we're going to try and play this year, but we're going to preserve guys, and Klay Thompson is coming back from the injury, and we don't know what D'Angelo Russell is, we're hard cap, so we can't add anybody, we might want to trade Russell to get pieces that fit better in the future. Now, they really can treat this year much more as a Kind of a gap year, essentially. And, you know, if everything's clicking at playing to- playoff time and they're in the playoffs, fine, go for it. But during the regular season, they don't have to stress out or they don't have to really push hard and, maybe that can help to extend the careers uh, of Curry and Draymond and uh, perhaps Thompson uh, as well cuz he doesn't have to rush back now. So uh, this is this now gets every component on board with the potential plan that hey this year doesn't matter as much we're still trying to be good for two three more years after this one.
1: Along those lines now every single player on the Golden State Warriors making more than 5 million dollars for this year is under contract for at least three seasons because Curry has 3 more years, D'Angelo Russell has 4, and then now Curry and I'm sorry, and now Thompson and Green have 5. And that's notable just in terms of long-term planning and we'll see how they handle things like the repeater tax moving forward but having that stability. And also, I don't want to dwell too long on this, but it's an, uh, another ramification of Green not getting a player option back when he negotiated his last contract yeah. in 2015.
0: And he didn't get one in this one apparently either, at least from what we've heard so yeah, far. Yeah,
1: we haven't we haven't heard that yet because we talked we talked a lot about how you know like the market could change a lot if he had been an unrestricted free agent this year with the flush market and a lot of competitive teams he could have gotten something like the 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 issue that might have led him to re-signing with not you know not the right teams having cap space that could open up he could have gone to the Lakers let's say or numerous other options that had cap space to burn and he did take less than his maximum like that's sometimes a choice that you're made is like more money or a player option and it's possible that maybe he just didn't have the leverage even though the Warriors had just won their first championship but for guys like carl anthony towns and some of these other younger players that might just be like hey let's get the five years now that that player option can be incredibly valuable and shifting your free agency by one year that you get the choice of which year it is can make a huge difference
0: yeah absolutely you'd imagine that if draymond were a free agent this offseason the the story might have been quite different indeed so as y'all know i'm on this long trip we are About three weeks in and quite frankly, I can tell the difference without my Helix Sleep Mattress, even when we stay in some nice hotels it's not the same because my helix sleep mattress is customized for me and my wife years ago uh, when we first got together we needed a new mattress a king size mattress California king actually so we tried out one of those mattress companies that just gives you the same mattress for everybody turns out we're not everybody that mattress was uncomfortable we both developed some back pain so we decided to try again with helix sleep and I'm so glad that we did this is long before even they were a sponsor in fact because my experience with them was so. So good. I sought them out and said, Hey, I would love to do reads for your product. I actually DM would their company Twitter account. And as of 2019, I discovered them back in 2015. But in 2019, they're named the best overall mattress by GQ and Wired Magazine. The way to get started with them is helixsleep.com/capspace. You can take their two-minute sleep quiz. They will match you to a customized mattress that'll give you the best sleep of your life. And if you and and your wife are not, or you and your husband, we do in fact have some female listeners. As, as surprising as that may be to some, I think our audience was. As best we could tell, like 94% male the last time I looked. You can split the mattress down the middle, and you can get individual support needs for each side. There's also zero risk here. You can try this out 100 nights risk-free. If it doesn't work for you, they'll even pick it up for you. If you don't love it, they also have a 10-year warranty as well. So once again, the way to get started with them is helixsleep.com slash capspace, easy slash capspace. We talk about all the time here. You can take their two-minute sleep quiz, and at that helixsleep.com slash capspace, you url you can get up to 125 dollars off of all mattress orders once again up to 125 dollars off of all mattress orders at helixsleep.com slash space all right time to continue a dunked on tradition where we go through every single team and every single player of note in summer league and talk about how they looked so we're gonna start off with the east here just go in alphabetical order and that brings us to the atlanta hawks
1: I think that the Hawks are a good representative team to start with of what happened in the summer league because some of the most interesting players just were not a part of it so Cam Reddish the 10th pick in the draft didn't play at all due to injury and DeAndre Hunter the fourth pick overall only played in one game so for me Hunter I didn't want it to be this way but it was more about the eye test and I I, I did like the the frame you know like he has legit forward height and it looked like he was sturdy so and I think he'll add some weight. So eventually, you know, what, what position he can guard, I think he can guard some of the bigger forwards in the league, you know, in terms of the strength part of it. The lateral mobility, gonna have to see a little bit more in games and all that kind of stuff. But my, my biggest takeaway, other than the frame stuff, was that I got really frustrated during the one game he played, I think it was like 14 minutes or something like that, that the ball wasn't finding him with enough time to shoot, because I wanted to see the mechanics on his jump shot, and he just wasn't shooting, he wasn't shooting up it wasn't like bad decisions or reluctance or anything like that. So I still want to get more of a read on how his jump shot is going to be, because if you remember when we did the breakdown on him, one of my concerns was that his release was really slow, and I want to get more of a feel for that before I make a pronouncement. Yeah, he
0: did have a pretty nice quick release jump shot I thought high release uh, I thought in semi-transition he showed the ability to drive he had to take more jumpers off the dribble than you would expect in NBA action and then he later after that first game developed a sore knee and and they just held him out because he hadn't played in a while and you know I'm sure he felt like he was a little bit rusty one thing that did show out on his film in college was his ability to post up when they played him at the four they're able to run one four pick and roll get him into the post a couple of times he's able to get to a jump hook there another time he went uh, for a fade away when the help came and he's dissuaded from driving that didn't look as good uh i did like at least that his misses weren't like way off you know the, the jump shot from nba3 looked okay uh, at a minimum did not show great explosion when he got to the rim a couple of times that's something that you know unless he can really load up off of two feet in space it, it's not gonna be a, a fantastic finish uh, for him so I didn't see any huge red flags in you know the short amount of time that he did play amari spellman we'll talk about him in the golden state section he, he got traded there uh but that means we can talk about damian jones here in the hawk section since he got traded although he did play with the golden state warriors summer league outfit
1: yeah he did and i mean one of the more memorable parts of jones summer league happened in sacramento where in the first game he committed i think it was six fouls in like the first 10 minutes he was on the floor and so he barely played in the rest of that game
0: uh oh, oh Oh, you're having trouble remembering the game in which he picked up a lot of fouls early on
1: yeah it, it, it happens once or twice so jones i mean the story is to me largely the same as it has been previously for for him where i i just don't think he brings enough to the table to just fight now that does not mean i'm critical of the trade from the hawks perspective because he's not omari spellman so that that's a benefit for them but you know if it's kind of you know challenge trade in that sense and you get a guy who has i guess you could call it one year left depending on how they felt about spellman's fourth year option that you know at least he's tall and maybe maybe there are elements that the that the hawks can benefit from there but uh, he still doesn't do anything really for me
0: yes uh, every once in a while he can have some impressive moments running the floor Hitting the offensive glass, getting up for some big time alley oops. His hands, though, remain pretty subpar. And then it's really defensively where I feel he has the bigger problems. And you mentioned the foul rate, but it's also really he just doesn't have any kind of a timing on blocking shots versus the recognition, getting into position. And then a lot of times, just he can't really affect the shot even when he's there. He just he can't get his hand on uh, on the ball. He's just kind of there, but he just doesn't jump at the right time, and he gets scored on a lot or. Or he ends up fouling. Last guy we could talk about for Atlanta is Bruno Fernando, number 34 overall pick out of Maryland. Came out after his sophomore season. Has what you could probably characterize as center size 7'3 wingspan, 6'10 in shoes, 237, very muscular frame. I was thinking of him as the center and I thought he showed pretty good mobility there uh he played more four than might have been expected he was playing a a fair amount next to spellman and i can't remember who the other big was uh, that they had out there but he he was spending some time spotting up and putting the ball on the deck he had one play where he pump faked into a a jumper at the foul line posting up didn't look as good i I wanted him to be a little bit more physical and back down especially because he had some size advantages uh, on a couple of these uh didn't look really fantastic finishing around the rim he had some plays where he like you know he went baseline had a chance for like a lefty reverse layup and then just airballed the layup like over the rim to the other side again somehow um it had a few misses uh, and then statistically you know it didn't look good for him offensively either Danny
1: no I mean he I mean again we're and, and I'll use things like true shooting but remember these are exceedingly small sample sizes so that's an important part here but he had a, a 37% true shooting and I'm not I, Fernando you, you talked about that you think he might have center size but also for me when I remember watching him at Maryland like I just don't think he necessarily has those tools in the toolbox at least right now like as a help defender does you know and he also wasn't great as a rebounder at least in summer league I'd have to go back and dig into his Maryland stats which I'm not gonna do right now and I I just think he's kind of a man without a country and first of all where bigs are fading out unless you have really special skills anyway and you know so drafting him at 34 even over somebody like Daniel Gafford who I think showed more in summer league and just showed more when he was in college as well I I think that's a mistake we could also just wings are so valuable and and everything else and the Hawks valued that at other places in the draft drafting Hunter and Reddish in the lottery but yeah I'm, I'm just not a huge fan and they could change i'd love to be wrong i I was similarly non-plussed by guys like montrez harrell and he's found a place in the league so it's not a a death sentence but it i I don't know i think my general proposition on those guys is is usually right
0: yeah i mean i wasn't blown away by like oh my god this guy is just playing so hard the way you are uh with harrell couple other notes for, from his college stats since you mentioned it the rebounding there was totally good 11 percent offensive rebound 26 percent defensive rebound so that's uh totally adequate uh, for a, a center prospect but only four of 13 uh, in his two years at maryland from downtown and the idea that he's going to be a four i mean maybe that was just due to their summer league roster and that's who he had to play with but i mean i, I really see him as more of kind of a speed five type of player uh, back up um and, and we didn't get to see as much of him trying to protect the rim. You know, his block rate wasn't bad at Maryland; he averaged about two a game, but nothing. Uh, yeah, you seven know, percent two point block rate, which is you know that's okay for a college center prospect. It's not unbelievable. Uh, Boston Romeo Langford, number fourteen overall pick, did not play due to that thumb issue that really caused him a bunch of problems at Indiana. Robert Williams, who was number twenty seven overall pick last year, what did you think of his summer league?
1: Williams still. Intrigues me. I, I've, I've been, you know, his physical talent was something that was that was tantalizing me when he was drafted a year ago. Uh, good frame, and I thought he 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 moves better than you expect for somebody who, his size. And I, I like that he he had a little bit more with the ball in his hands. Not you know like, you don't want him running your offense or anything silly like that, but he can handle it a little bit better. He had some nice passes, and it's it's he's not Al Horford, so it's not like you can use that as a as a fundamental piece. Uh, he, despite you know not having a ton of versatility. To his scoring game, still had below average true shooting is just under 55% on below, you know, 20% usage, which is a little bit concerning, but great rebound rate, 1.8 blocks in 20 minutes per game is is, is a lot. So I think there's something to like. It's, it's interesting to think about what his role is going to be on this Celtics team because, I mean, we could have expected if they had brought Horford back or anything else that it's just, you just give Robert Williams all the time he needs. But now when he's competing for minutes with Ennis Canner. And Daniel Tice, they could really use Williams if he can play even let's say ten to fifteen minutes a game.
0: Yeah, he's going to have moments, especially because uh they really don't have a ton of athleticism at that position. Now we didn't get to see a ton of him switching. You know that was something that was supposed to be a skill of his coming out of Texas A and thought that he looked pretty good in transition. He had a couple of plays where he's able to get out, take a few dribbles, uh, and get to the rim for a dunk. He missed a couple of dunks uh, as well. But... Uh- did have some big time wow plays like there was one play where he was basically just waiting for this guy in cleveland ozikowski is kind of a, a big burly white dude who can't jump who who tried to attack him off the dribble from outside and that guy got to the free throw line and shot a floater from the free throw line and williams just waited and when you're a quick enough jumper that you don't even have to jump until the other guy is committed to a shot and you can get shots in the air and that's what he did he just sent back this guy's free throw line floater it was really impressive so he definitely pops still, you know, he, he makes... Wild plays. You wish that he could have been a little bit more efficient. I don't know that my opinion of him changed a ton either way, which isn't great because you know he didn't do anything last year. Uh, so you you still kind of just chalk him up in the, eh, you know, there's some potential there, but you wouldn't want to count on him for any production this season. Uh, and you know, given that he's a young big man who is athletic, you know, I think contrary to popular opinion, especially when you know it's not a big guy who's like doing a lot of posting up or anything. You know, he's not as skill based. Those guys, you know, they're say big men take longer to come along like that kind of player actually to me you know, can contribute right away and the fact that we haven't seen that yet um no this this wasn't a bad summer league but it wasn't a great summer league to me either uh anything else on him or do you want to move on to the other williams on their summer league roster
1: no let's let's move on to grant williams so grant williams was somebody who was an analytics darling at tennessee but somebody who i had not seen play a single minute before summer league and it is very unusual for players with his physical profile so he's listed at six, seven, 236. You know that type of you know. So he's a, a a big a four five who doesn't have that sort of that sort of frame, and he doesn't have the from what I, from what I could tell, he doesn't have like the gigantic wingspan like somebody like Draymond Green who's a similar. Yeah. Player.
0: When you say that sort of frame, what do you mean?
1: Just like a heavier a heavier guy who isn't like you know like there's there's six seven players who play larger who play larger than their their height due to due to wingspan or vert- vertical ability all that kind of stuff.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But like in terms of like his strength he's he's pretty strong but yeah yeah when you say yeah
1: okay okay but so player players like that often don't stick ethan sherwood strauss and i had a conversation about like the trying to find the next Draymond green and all that kind of stuff on real jam radio last week if you want to listen to that but so i i was skeptical but then when i saw him play there was a lot that i really liked and what what struck me originally and this does not happen in summer league which is why it struck me is he looked very active and effective as a communicator on the floor and you don't see that very often in summer league period but you especially don't see it with rookies and it seemed like he knew what was going on defensively was trying to get his teammates on the same page and i did really like that and beyond that all the other pieces you know his his shot looks solid i want to see more of it and he you know makes good decisions with the ball in his hands so i'm always skeptical of players who kind of come into the league and you have to kind of think about okay they're gonna have to do a lot of things right but he did enough to make me feel more positive than i expected
0: yeah Jared. dudley is kind of the analog for him but he's got a little bit more of a cut body a little more athleticism then Dudley you know Dudley projected as a better shooter coming out of school but I thought the jump shot looked pretty good I think one of your questions about Williams is well what do you do on offense and that's gonna have to start with a a viable jump shot I thought he didn't have like a huge dip to his jumper he got the shot off quickly (laughs) ended up shooting seven to 19 37 percent from downtown in the five games that he played showed the ability to put the ball on the floor I thought his first step was actually a little bit quicker than anticipated but doesn't really have the explosion to finish well at the rim i thought on the perimeter his defense again the, the feet were a little bit quicker than might have been expected you know the difference between him and a pj tucker type is as you said the wingspan is not there as much to make plays uh but One of the things that everyone really likes about him is his ability to anticipate plays, get into help position. I I thought that that's something that we really saw. And then, you know, if you try to post him up or something like the guy is just a brick, you're not going to move him. uh, And I'd imagine he would only get stronger. You know, he doesn't cover, you know, I think his short area quickness is a little bit better than, you know, if he's got to get all the way from the lane to the three-point line for a closeout, that didn't look quite as good. Uh, and he also uh, threw a couple nice passes. He had a nice backdoor pass uh, at one point in time, and ultimately he was uh, had a number of games with like really good plus minus, even though his box score stats didn't look that good. So he uh, at least lived up. To that aspect how about uh Carson Edwards so
1: Edwards picked 33rd NCAA tournament standout for Purdue this past year and I mean the, one of the first things you notice is just how small he is like he's listed at 6'1 and he's not a really a primary ball handler so like you, basically he could score he could score shoot the hell out of the ball but he's not going to be running your offense and so guys that are six two, six three, and below who don't do that you just have to pair them with very specific players but he scored I mean his scoring was ridiculous he was twenty-one to forty-five. That's forty-seven percent on threes, and he had a sixty-four percent true shooting on twenty-seven yeah. usage.
0: Well, and that's nine threes a game. Nine threes too. a game. I mean, game that's game. like that number is a massive number.
1: It is, and so he was. I mean, he looked confident with his shot. Remember, this is the first time he's played with an NBA three. I think he's done some Team USA stuff off the top of my head. So he's played with the feeble line before. But I mean, his his shot is legit, and I I'm excited to see whether he can get regular minutes. Boston's guard rotation is going to be different this year with Kyrie and Terry Rozier out and then but Wanamaker stayed and Kemba Walker coming in so maybe if he, if he does well maybe there could be some minutes and they gave him you know we talked about this a couple weeks ago Ainge was able to keep enough cap space to give him a longer term contract than the like two year minimum exception which I think was both the sign of confidence that you draft a guy 33rd but yeah I, I, I'm I've in, i been intrigued by Edwards another, another player kind of like Grant Williams where a lot of players like him don't succeed but I like the tools more for him than the Average draft prospect that comes in like 6-1 who's not a point guard
0: yeah a lot of interesting things about him an obvious analog for him is Eddie House who also played for the Celtics the difference to me between him and House number one I think he plays a lot harder defensively I was impressed by that aspect certainly very small the question of who he's going to guard but you could see him fitting in because they've got Gordon Hayward on this team Tatum Braun those guys uh are going to be guys with the ball in their hands so they can Edwards can work off of them a, a little bit more and then guard the other team's point guard uh so he, he might be a pretty good fit uh but he can definitely pull three pointers off the dribble now he can't really get to the basket all he struggled to finish there when he got switched on to big men and this is you know summer league big men this is an nba big men you know he struggled to create separation in those circumstances i was very impressed by his off ball movement the ability to come off of screens and take an nba three i mean that is a rare skill even in the nba and he showed the ability to do that to never stop moving read screens flare to the corner when necessary, curl when he needed to so uh, i thought that was pretty good and then and in transition he was uh, outstanding as well with a uh, 28 points On 18 possessions in transition, and so running the floor, being able to pull up with that quick release looked pretty good. And again, I think the biggest thing to me, if he shoots it like this, he could be a quality offensive player, right? I mean, anyone who can shoot like that is going to help you offensively. The question is just defense. And yeah, he looks really small, but the effort was there, and that to me is the the most important thing for a player like this, where he's at least going to try. Now he might get taken advantage of for sure but that's like part one and you know his feet didn't look particularly slow defensively either so if he can hold his own defensively and the ball goes in for him the way it did in summer league he could be a player um could talk quickly about some of the other guys here Tremont Waters who I think is going to be on a two-way with them another undersized guy even smaller than Edwards I think who was really active defensively, plays extremely hard, really impressed with his passing. He had a lot of really nice alley hoops, bullet passes out of, out of pick and roll. And so I just, I, I thought that the passing and the defensive intensity were things that he can bring, you know, the, the size is going to be a major problem to making it. And then uh, Taco Fall, uh, the darling of summer league once Zion Williamson went down. What were your thoughts on him?
1: Definitely a crowd favorite. I mean, he's just a gigantic human being. I was happy the first time I saw him. I was actually on the floor and so i just just looking at the just just giant like seven four something in that range well
0: and like his his wingspan is like eight four it's hilarious it's it's like like Five inches more than Rudy Gobert it's just insane
1: and I'm so he looked better in summer league than I had expected you know having having heard more about him than seen him Sam Vecini and I actually talked about him on Real Gym Radio during the year because he's just such a fascination and limited mobility centers look a lot better in summer league than they do in the NBA just because the shift in talent is is almost like designed to like hurt those limited mobility guys and so you know I think he's worth you know giving a training camp shot to and seeing if maybe it can translate to that kind of the next step up and yeah
0: and they've got him on an exhibit 10 yeah
1: exhibit 10 so that's exactly like what i think he kind of quote-unquote deserves and then offensively when he got the ball around the basket there wasn't much many of the other guys could do to stop him just because he's so much bigger than everybody else but I don't think he has like a Boban level of touch or skill like Boban's an incredibly talented offensive player and that sometimes we lose and of that.
0: strength and too. strength I mean that's a, a, and Boban's conditioning is outstanding as well I mean so that's yeah I think Taco to me could be a lot better than Boban defensively uh but nowhere near as good offensively
1: right so I'm excited to see where it goes from here just because he you know and he he seemed to really relish the the attention that he was getting but I'm not I'm not confident I'm not confident just because he's running against the general gravity of the league
0: he causes big time problems for people defensively like I mean you could just see the thought bubbles above guys heads when they went into the lane that i'm like i'm not even gonna try this and yeah on offense it's basically you know he can do these dunks where he barely jumps and you know, I think his hands were okay um you know maybe bigger NBA players are going to be able to kind of shove him around a little bit and the touch around the basket won't look as good uh but yeah I think he could be potentially a defensive difference maker in the right circumstances you know if he's got to guard a pick and pop big or he's got to guard someone who can shoot the three coming off a pick and roll and, and they don't have a great guard getting over screens at the point of attack you know certainly i think he could probably be exposed but i I mean he he played very well in summer league like he helped his team win games in summer league and that you know that's a a positive first step for him at the next level of competition up and you know he's such a unique physical specimen i wouldn't want to foreclose on what he might be able to do at the nba level because we've seen few if any players like him uh especially in recent times can can Um, we just get him a
1: lifetime contract for whatever team terry stotts is coaching (laughs) just have him drop back and just put those giant arms up in the air and just say deal with it
0: yeah yeah um Gershan Yabusele, again, we still have concerns about him, just what he is. I was at least impressed that he looked like he was playing hard. Didn't really, I don't know, did he look like he lost any weight to you? I didn't really see much, frankly.
1: No, I I didn't see much weight loss. I saw much Yabusele. But he, I I mean, so I was harping on this last year that I thought the Celtics shouldn't pick up his option. And Danny Ainge did, and I was critical of that. And now they've already cut and waived him. But it didn't really...
0: Oh, I must have missed that. That.
1: yeah they could they cut and waived right. him
0: well why did i waste my time talking well about
1: no because that? I, I think it's it's a useful exercise but it didn't end up costing them as much because this because of what happened with the celtics offseason they you know having a little bit of extra cap space would help but it's not like they're going to pay luxury tax on his salary for this year while they did last year so yeah it's all right maybe I, I i would love to see him succeed enough in europe or somewhere else to eventually make his way back to the nba and he's young enough to make that the case but yeah
0: he just he just doesn't have a role he's gonna it's have to get a lot better like,
1: so much better
0: well Well, and even, I mean, the problem was like, even if he were, he was, I mean, one of those, he's not quite as much as like a Caleb Swanigan type of pick, but it's just like, okay, he could maybe shoot a little three. And, you know, when he was slimmed down, he could move his feet a little bit better than expected. But it was just like, even if he could do the things that he was supposedly able to do, where the hell were you going to play him at, at the four, at the five? He n- never has protected the rim, even at, at the best of times, didn't project that way. So a, a cautionary tale, perhaps. And, and, you know, I think part of why they drafted, him was because they could preserve some of their cap space by not having to bring him over for a year but um but yeah i mean that that's always tough of just like Because you just have two points of failure. One is just that the guy isn't good at the stuff he was supposed to be good at to begin with. And then number two is that stuff even going to be valuable uh, when you compare some of uh, the guy's weaknesses. But I'll tell you what's a much better fit than some recent draft picks Blinkist. Been using that on our trip. Actually, just recently listened to the need to know information from a book called All the Single Ladies, which uh, talks about some of the benefits actually to being a single woman and how that is becoming more socially acceptable today and why in fact that might be a conscious decision that more women are making so it took me only 15 minutes to listen to those key takeaways from that book. And they've got a ton more as well. Becoming by Michelle Obama. The Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. That's interesting spelling with two G's on it. Uh, One of my favorite books uh, that I read, actually when I was right out of college, but I still think it is an essential one for anyone to read called Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goldman. But there's no reason to read an entire nonfiction book if you're pressed for time, because you're not going to remember the entire book anyway i mean it could be entertaining but if you're really reading this book to try to improve your life are you really going to remember more than 15 minutes worth of information from it anyway and that's uh what blinkist is built on and 10 million people are now using blinkist including me they've got this massive and growing library from self-help and business to health and history books the way to get started with them is at blinkist.com slash BLINK IST.com slash capspace to start your free seven day trial. That's blinkus.com slash capspace. Don't forget that slash cat space URL to let them know that you came from us. I think we got time for a couple more teams here. I, it's so funny when I'm like, oh yeah, we'll just like blow through this. We do like the whole conference this time. Like, uh, no, actually, I mean, not, there's going to be some teams that aren't going to take as long, but uh, Brooklyn is not one of them. Let's start with uh, Zan and Musa, a number 29 pick in the 2018 draft, uh, spent much of the season in Long Island with the Nets G League affiliate.
1: We had watched a little bit of Musa as a mini scout back in 2018 before he was drafted. And, you know, I was kind of
0: intrigued. Yeah, he was supposed to go a little higher.
1: Yeah, he was supposed to go a little higher, fell to 29. And what concerned me most about his summer league performance was that when I was watching him, he didn't beat the guy who was covering him often enough. And even though Musa's rookie year was not like a lot of first round picks, he dealt with injury and a bunch of other stuff. You need those players to stand out against summer league level talent. And and he just didn't really do that enough and wasn't, wasn't getting, and the shot also wasn't falling. That's kind of a... You know, if we want to call it a Mario Hazonia parallel, it's like he's not doing the part that you'd really want him to do, but he's also not doing what you thought was more of a fallback. And he ended up, you know, playing 22 minutes a game, 11 and a half points, five rebounds, three assists, which isn't, which is, which is solid. His assist rate was actually actually something I liked, but not effective enough for me as a scorer to really feel comfortable about him having a role in the next couple of years, though obviously it'd be great for him to change that expectation. Yeah,
0: Musa, I thought he looked best in pick and roll where he was able to set his man up pretty well he's got pretty decent ball handling ability and he was able to get downhill against the big in drop coverage The problem was that he really struggled to make something happen once he got into that situation. And again, these are not NBA bigs with NBA length. A lot of the time, you know, he tried a lot of Euro steps getting to his left hand, really just wasn't able to finish it. Overall, uh, his finishing really needed some work in the half court was only four out of 17 around the rim. And out of the pick and roll, he shot 0 for 13. And scored only 5 points on 16 possessions out. You'll note that generally pick and roll efficiency is even lower in summer league where you're not running a lot of offense the defense is going to be prepared for you the three you know he did take six a game which is a pretty good number in the g league shot 36 i liked him much better as a spot up guy than off the dribble it seems like he doesn't get great rise on his jump shot off the dribble and you know those are tough shots to be taking out of pick and roll you know if you can make a three-pointer out of pick and roll that you you can almost be a valuable player with that uh, on its own I thought when he was able to step in like he had one that it was a quick pull and transition. That looked a lot better when he just has to rise up from a spot he wasn't able to get the explosion off of 2 feet. And overall I think as an athlete, you know, I I'd say he's a little bit below average especially when you're talking about someone who really profiles as a creator. You know, that to me is kind of the biggest problem is what is he going to do if he's not going to have the ball as i mentioned you know he can operate okay in pick and roll and and set his man up and and, you know he's not turning the ball over left and right he looks comfortable handling in pick and roll but does he have the skill level whether it's a pull-up jump shot or getting all the way to the basket putting pressure on the rim to create an advantage situation set up others you know i thought there are times where his passing looked decent finding the roll man uh, i also really liked him as a transition player that's that was by far where he was the most effective pushing the ball in transition getting out and either pulling up or attacking the basket but the question just becomes you don't see him as a quality role player he's I think he tries hard defensively like he had a play where he blocked a game tying three uh, against Washington I think his feel is decent like he had uh, in that same game a really nice cut along the baseline uh, for a layup in the last two minutes where his guy turned his head so I think he's a, a pretty smart player he's got a good feel but the question becomes that's as the number 29 overall pick not the greatest athleticism where does he go in terms of playing a role with the big club you know I think he he could look better as a creator at the lower levels but you know especially if you look at who's going to be on this team going forward here with Dinwiddie and Laverne and Durant and Kyrie Irving I don't see him getting a lot of on-ball reps maybe he could be a trade candidate but again is this guy really going to create offense efficiently he's very young still so I'm not going to foreclose that and I think he his skill level is Continuing to improve, uh, but the fit is difficult uh, with this newly upgraded Nets roster.
1: I don't usually spend a lot of time on. I, I have a, a classification of too good for summer league, and really for those type of players, maybe maybe like in Jared Allen's case, maybe they're there because he was going to do the Team USA select team stuff, and so just wanted some extra reps. I was shocked he played in five games, and he looked good. You know, he looked like I Jared Allen should play against summer league guys who are way worse than he is. I mean, I think Jared Allen is the best center on the Brooklyn Nets NBA team, so it's not. Surprising that he's kicking some summer league ass. And I thought Kuric's was there too. He looked really good, but again, like he should. He was an, uh, a rotation player, at times a starter on a playoff team last year. And he, you know, he looked capable and impressive during some of his summer league moments. have played about 25 minutes a game and yeah, not surprising that he looked good.
0: Yeah, the thing that most impressed me about Kuric's was the passing and uh, his ability to attack the basket off of closeouts. And, and that's uh, in fact how he set up a lot of those passes. Another guy who I thought looked pretty good in transition. He was able to push the ball in transition off his own dribble. Did a little bit of pick and roll operation, but with Koroks, you like him more as a role guy. If he can continue to make enough jumpers, me I guess you might say he didn't necessarily do that. At his rookie year was at about 32 percent but if that part of his game continues to evolve you know you're not necessarily going to evaluate that in summer league and, and he shot six out of 18 this season six of 12 from the free throw line is not amazing. Uh, you know, I would have hoped maybe he could do a little bit more on the offensive glass. Only had three offensive rebounds, but ten steals, five blocks. He's just a very heady, smart player to to be sure. And to have 14 assists in six games. Just a really nice. Uh, you know, again, he's not going to be the number one option with the ball, but if you throw it to him, he gets run off the line. I trust him to be able to make a play, and, and he's also a solid enough finisher to me uh around the rim was 13 out of 21 62 percent uh, which was fine i think he's you know he's not the greatest athlete but he, he's got good feel for protecting the ball getting some extension using his body so i i think he did what he needed to do here as far as looking like a role player did turn it over a little bit more than you might have liked the pick and roll wasn't amazing he was only three for 11 out of that but that's not what his role is gonna be uh, i don't think so uh still feeling just fine uh, about him i think he did what he needed to to do it wasn't a broad, groundbreaking performance but certainly was at a level where you'd expect him to be able to continue to contribute
1: the Nets had the first pick of the second round this year and drafted Nicholas Claxon out of Georgia, a big, and his energy level seemed solid. I, I kind of like Bruno Fernando. I wonder exactly what his kind of positional defensive role is going to be in the NBA. Uh, it was kind of amazing that he only. Why
0: do you? Why do you say that?
1: I I, I don't know that. I, I when I've seen him, that he looks like a kind of like a rim protector, and that he also I'll, I'll need to see more of his jump shot. Like for me, if you can't if you can't protect the rim. I've, I've had the same issue with John Collins. If you can't protect the rim and you and you don't have a jump shot that teams have to respect, you have to do a lot of other things really, really well. And maybe he can. And, and you know, the, his energy level, I, I believe he was a good, uh, like, that he, like, the the people who watched him at Georgia liked a lot of the, the fundamentals that he had. But generally speaking, for me, those type of players, if they don't check either of those boxes, they have to, again, it's a lot to ask.
0: Yeah, I mean, his block numbers were pretty good. He also averaged just steal a game. Yeah, I like that. Last year. Uh, and, he, and he had 81 blocks in 32 games last year for Georgia I mean to me you know I thought he played pretty hard yeah you know, I think he's solid enough I mean, but my big concern is his frame I think he's way too skinny at this point in time and skinny enough that I worry whether he can it's not gonna always be a weakness for him would you agree with that
1: yeah I, I think that I I think that I would and his wingspan is around 7-3 so you know that's that that's it but it's not like let's say like Mo Bamba-esque or something like that where you can get get away with being really skinny because you're just longer than everybody else but yeah it is it is a little bit concerning and again like the 31 pick it's not a lottery pick but it is a valuable one in the draft so we'll have to see there are things that I like about Claxton especially with his energy level but I want to see more before I before I really have a like oh he's definitely going to make it or not
0: yeah. A couple other thoughts on him. He's a lefty, tried some three pointers and was spotting up around there. A lot he was playing some with Jared Allen. He didn't start, but Jared Allen actually played. He was playing some with him. He's playing with, uh, Brema as well. So might have even played more four than five overall. Uh, I thought he had some plays where he showed nice verticality at the rim defensively. You know, he didn't have much in the way of steals and blocks. Uh, I thought he showed pretty good hands on offense. Uh, I liked his touch Uh, has a decent right hand uh, which a a lot of lefties don't I thought he showed the ability to put the ball on the floor and you know he wasn't necessarily making great passes but he's able to stay under control he had a couple of plays where he's able to make short hooks and floaters from the 5 foot range Uh, I also liked the way he sprinted into screens I mean that's something that uh, with ball screens where you can actually just help your guy out by getting there really quickly and having uh, the guy guarding you be a little out of position just by running absolutely as fast as possible into a screen i, I like that he did that um was able to handle the ball out on the perimeter in the dho game he had a nice fake dho slip to the basket where he was able to score uh the three-pointer shot only 28 on 64 attempts last year with georgia i don't expect that to be a weapon i expect him to be a center for this team and, and as mentioned a little thin you know there's one play where he just got ducked right in by rui hachimura who's smaller than him but uh, stronger uh so i you know i think claxton has some potential if he can get stronger that to me is the biggest thing we didn't really see him especially in that net system doing a lot of switching and moving his feet so i think this is uh an example of where you, know, you can get some potential options at the center position and yeah you know he's got some flaws i think he profiles more as a backup in particular due to how thin he is and his narrow frame but hey you get a decent backup center at that point in the draft really anyone who can play uh, that's fine so uh, looking like a decent enough pick to me there um could talk briefly about jared allen i mean we know what he is at the nba level for a guy like him the reason you're in summer league is to try to expand your game he pretty much failed to do that uh you know we've seen him dabble with corner threes but he was 0 for 7 on catch and shoot situations and also as a role man you know didn't look amazing he was 8 out of 13 and had 6 turnovers in that situation he only scored 50% of the time on his rolls to the basket that's not a great number so again i'm not going to be down on on jared allen i think it's quite possible there'd be a lot of situations where he is a better option than deandre jordan this year but you know i don't know that he really uh was able to expand his game much i do appreciate both the Nets' philosophy and his of actually having him play and and try to get better uh which you know a lot of teams wouldn't necessarily do that did you get a chance to look at uh, Theo Pinson at all?
1: Yeah, a little bit. And Pinson, you know, he ha- he has kind of like the the basic eye test pretty well handled. I mean, he has since, his, since he was in North Carolina. But what has given me pause on him since North Carolina is that players who can't reliably shoot three and are not just dominant in other phases of the game just don't really have that much of a place. So you don't want to write too too much about Pinson shooting five of 23 in summer league. That's 22%. But he shot 26% on threes last year. And he shot 26% at North Carolina, so it's pretty fair to guess that at least in the yeah. in the immediate that now
0: not worth noting, he was 38%, uh, 106 out of 276 in the G League last year. Yes, so, so
1: it is it is a possibility. I, my instinct is that that's more the outlier than everything else, but it is it is possible. But I I don't know. I, I remember even going back to to when he was at when the, the limited minutes he got when he was in Brooklyn last year. That I just like that he plays hard and that he get into it. I'm just not you know. There they're the three and D guys, if we want to, I mean, we're not classifying pizza as that right now. That the three part of that is just such a such a swing skill, and it's such a challenging thing to predict. That you know, I, I think that at a, at a certain point, you want to just try other people there. But it's a minimum contract; it's not that big a deal either way for the Nets.
0: Yeah, and I think he does have a skill level pick and roll. Actually, uh, he was pretty good. Yeah, Sixteen out bad. of twenty eight uh, out of the pick and roll, and uh, was able to get to the basket. Orin they did have the floor spread so uh, a wing like him with decent athleticism you know he's a better athlete than Musa, for example Uh, but any kind of wing with decent athleticism and ball handling skills like him you know I think it's good to keep around it and see whether he can develop a little bit again you know Brooklyn with all the mouths that they have to feed now offensively I know KD is not going to be playing this year but or at least uh, not until the very end if he does definitely a a guy I think is worth having on a roster you know we carp all the time that there aren't enough wings and that guys don't give the the teams don't give these guys chances and I I think you In the case of Pinson, you know, as with Travion Graham last year, I think that the Nets uh, are doing a good job and, you know, and they've made players out of some of these guys that they brought in. They have one of the best development systems in the NBA based on some of the results that they have had. Uh, All right. Anything to talk about before we go here?
1: Uh, Yeah. I'll mention that I did a a fun podcast for Real Jam Radio with the earlier, very aforementioned Seth Partnow on kind of like the research projects he wants to do, how the conversation has and has not changed in his, three years with the Bucks, and I, I just thought it was it was an illuminating thing and and the kind of the benefit of not doing it during the season is it wasn't really tethered to what was going on we just talked about things that we thought were interesting and you know like the differences between the playoffs and the regular season and we'll, we'll see where it comes but I, I just love talking with Seth so you can listen to that Real Gym Radio podcast play every choosing and then I will have more stuff out in the near term now that I'm back I'm, I'm writing again.
0: All right and we will be back here for our second episode of the week so we got a do plenty more from summer league hopefully we'll manage to do more than like three teams in an hour next time (laughs) but there actually were those are probably some of the densest teams that we had to deal with especially boston and brooklyn so looking forward to talking about the bulls next time kobe white got, got a lot of opinions on him in particular so looking forward to getting back to that next week talk to you all then